Thanks for joining us on the Restoration Church podcast, where we're leading disciples to live authentic, relational, and missional lives. This episode is the first in a three-part series on the Song of Solomon. We hope you enjoy. Sometimes the things in the text are, um, are, are things that might would be normally you wouldn't expect to hear in church. But I'm going to do my best to not, to not use the filter of, oh, I wonder if I should say that, or I wonder if that's appropriate or not, because what's in the Scripture is, is what I think I should teach. Anybody disagree with that? Anybody, anybody feel like there are parts of Scripture you shouldn't teach? Anybody think that? You know, what's that? Preach it. Uh-huh, all right, I like that. Can you do that like about every 30 seconds or something like that? Yeah, that'll help me out. That'll keep me going. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, Song of Solomon. So, so this is going to be a run-through of the book of Song of Solomon. It may be a little fast. Uh, if you are taking notes and I go too fast, feel free to like, throw up your hand. Like, we're, we're, we're family around here. So throw up your hand like, what did he say? Um, if it's something too embarrassing, I may not say it again. But we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and go with it. So first thing, uh, things to give your girl. Number one, a man of good character. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 3, uh, part of what we just read. The fragrance of your cologne is, de- is delightful. Your name or your reputation or your character is like the finest perfume. So what is, where does he start? Where does the text start? It says that, hey, that this, this girl, she's describing her man and the impact she's, he's had on her. She says that just, just as much as his cologne smells good and is, is literally arousing to her, his reputation his character is what draws her to him. Things you should give to your girl, first of all, as a man of good character. This tells us that their relationship, more than anything else, was built on a spiritual foundation of integrity, of ethics, of godliness, of holiness, of righteousness. So before we get too far into some of the other material in this text, know that any great relationship is built on the foundation of you being a, a man of character. What do you want to give your girl? Be a man of good character. Number, number two, things to give your girl. Gifts. Look what it says in verse 11. I will make sure, I will make for you gold ornaments and studded with silver. Now that's where I just picked one random verse out of the book of Song of Solomon to describe the gifts that this, this lover gives his beloved. Um, it's all throughout the book of Song of Solomon. But I do think this one's an interesting verse. A, because it's right at the beginning. And also, B, because it helps us understand the kind of gifts, guys, you should give your girl. These are expensive gifts, all right? Now, expensive is a very relative thing. Maybe in your world, expensive means uh, um, double cheeseburger from McDonald's. I doubt it very seriously, but maybe, maybe that's expensive in your world. But sometimes in your world, it may mean stretching and sacrificing for your needs so that your wife can have the expensive gift. Maybe you don't get the better uh, the better iPhone. Maybe you don't get the better PS4. Maybe you don't get the better uh, tractor. Maybe you don't get the better tool set so that your wife can have a better dress, a better ring, a better necklace. Expensive gifts. Um, interesting in this text too, and guys, this is a little bit of tip for romance. And my wife will tell you that if anybody in this world should be, able to, should be qualified to give you tips for romance, my wife would agree with this. It is absolutely, certainly not me at all. So, but, but Solomon probably should be one of the ones who should give it to us. If you know anything about the history of Solomon, um, he had the ability, it seems, to, um, to uh, affect multiple females. We won't get into that too much right now. We'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, Solomon surely had the experience to know what to do to romance uh, the ladies. So not only expensive gifts, but ex- gifts you make. Ladies, what would it mean to you if your husband or your boyfriend made you a gift? Would that be more significant? I have to admit, this is one place where I had a little bit of success 
very early on in our marriage. And we were over there in our missional community, and we were doing some, doing some hanging out, and my wife was pulling out some like old photos and things like that. And I had forgotten about an old card that I had made my wife. Did you, did you saw it, Rebecca Gallen? It's proof, right? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if it was there. Did you see it? Can I get a witness? Yeah. I made her a card. It was only like 20 years ago. So, I mean, I, mean, I clearly didn't do that a whole lot. But, but make things for your spouse. Gifts that you make. Uh, that, will, that will be especially meaningful. And this is similar, but gifts that take you time. The description in verse 11 is, is, the, is of that of a craftsman of somebody who takes time to put, put effort and work and labor and detail into the gifts that they give. So guys, we are approaching in a few days. How many days is it from now? Uh, 13, 11 days, 10 days, something like that. You have time now to get this right. When you, when you prepare for the gifts for your girl, give them something that will cost you a little bit, something that's sacrificial. Uh, give them a gift that you make. Give them a gift that may take a little bit of time, but not over 10 days. Um, Next thing to give to your girl, an identity of being special and loved. Now, if you have your Bible with you, turn to verse 15 in chapter 1. This is, this is one of the most amazing things in this text to me. Oh, how beautiful you are, my beloved. Oh, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Oh, how beautiful you are, my, love, my lover. Oh, how delightful you are. The lust foliage is our canopy bed. The cedars are the beams of our bedroom chamber. The pines are the rafters of our bedroom. The beloved, I am a meadow flower from Sharon, a lily from the valley. So here's what's going on in this text. The, the, the lover, the guy, starts saying all of these things to his, to his girl, to his, to his uh, soon-to-be bride or his bride. He starts saying all these beautiful things. You're beautiful. I love you. Your eyes are like the eyes of a dove. And he even goes on to describe how much he wants to be with her physically. And then she responds to him. Look how she identifies herself now. I am a meadow flower from Sharon. I am a gentle, delicate, red flower in the valley of Sharon. I am a lily in the valley. And then he goes on to say that you're like a lily among thorns. So is my darling among the maidens. Several times in this text, throughout the book of Song of Solomon, the identity of this lover is shifted and changed from what she might have a tendency to think of herself to what the love of her lover helps her see. Matter of fact, also look at this. Uh, this is verse, verse number 5 in chapter 1. Daughters of Jerusalem, I am dark like the tents of Keter, uh, yet lovely like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, for the sun has gazed on me. My mother's sons or brothers were angry with me. They made me a keeper of the vineyards. I have not kept my own vineyard. And vineyard in this case is symbolism. This is poetry. This whole, whole book is poetry for her, for her physical appearance. What she's saying is, is that because her brothers were mean to her, they were ticked off at her for some reason, she had to work out in the fields like a common servant. And because of that, her skin and her physical appearance wasn't what was considered delightful or beautiful in the culture of that day. Uh, ironic that Solomon didn't allow the cultural norms to determine or define what beauty was uh, in this text. Uh, helpful, helpful thought as we think about how he helps his, his, love, his lover define her identity and, and value. And then, so think about how she identifies herself at first. Not lovely, not accepted, not hated by her family. She identifies herself in all of these negative terms. But because of the verbal affirmation and description of the, the, the husband 
or the, or the, the boy in this scenario. Her identity shifts from being of that of, I am dark and I am hated by my brothers and I wasn't even able to keep up my physical appearance. She shifts in her identity to, I am a lily of the valley. I am a, a rose or a, or a, a wild red flower in, in, in Sharon. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful how the, as God teaches us to engage uh, those we love, we can even help re- redefine what someone's identity is. As we keep going, he also gives her a, an opportunity for adventure. Chapter 2, verse 14. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places of the mountain crags, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. So in this text, we see that uh, he is inviting his bride, he's inviting his girl out into the, out into the wilderness, out into the trails to, to get into the mountains, to climb the mountains. And this is for you, Michael, to do a little rock climbing. So that was, that was for you guys over there. Michael's a big rock climber, just in case you didn't know. So he's inviting his girl into adventure. The next thing, chapter 2, verse 16. We're going fast. I know. Is everybody okay? All right, good. We're going fast. All right, the next thing is certainty. This one's powerful. This is challenging. Chapter 2, verse 16. And he actually says this two other times in the, in the book of Song of Solomon. This is one of the most um, repeated and important verses that happens in the book of Song of Solomon. She says this about her, about her boy, about her man. My lover is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Who's the lily? She's the lily. He is speaking to, her, to his sexual faithfulness. Now, he didn't say that about her, right? At least right here in this text. He didn't say, hey girl, you're mine and I'm yours. Just so you know, I'm faithful to you. No, she said that about him. Her own sense of certainty and assurance that the relationship that they had was built on the identity that he helped her have and the love. He makes sure that she is absolutely certain that she is the only one in his life. There's no doubt. That's not something he says about her. It's not something he just says to her. It's something that she is confident and certain in. Does that make sense? And then the most difficult one in this list to me. He also gives her a good body. Look at chapter 5, verse 10. My beloved, she's talking about her man. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, uh, which speaks to the fact that he's a, he's a man's man. Distinguished among 10,000, his head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. Sorry about that, Will. Sorry. About that. I would have changed it, but they say you can't do that. They say that's a sin, so I, I couldn't. Anyway. Um, his eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk. Look at this imagery. Sitting beside a, f- a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. He's got big cheeks. I guess that was a good thing back during those days. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. Uh, speaks to his words and the attractiveness and the lovingness and the romantic, uh, romantic gestures of his words. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory Bedecked with sapphires. Speaking of his abdomen, this dude's got a six-pack. I should sit up straighter and suck it in a little bit. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet and his altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So 
let me pause and say, you only got what God gave you to work with, right? But do the best you got with what God gave you to work with. Um, he gives to his lover a good body. <laughs> All right, so those are things to give to your girl. So let's talk about some of the things to do for your girl. We heard it at the very end of that verse we just read, but we see it also at the beginning of Song of Solomon. Become her friend. It says this in verse 16 as well. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved Ruah, our friend. It's the most common term used in the book of Song of Solomon between these two lovers is the word for friend, the word Ruah. The foundation of any good relationship is friendship. Before romance, before physical affection, before anything, is friendship. I'll challenge you if you're here and you are dating or you're seeking to date or you're kind of wishing you could be dating, focus on just becoming a great friend to the opposite sex. Become their friend. Care for them. Serve them. Um, as uh, Timothy also gives similar guidance where it says, to the, to the younger women, just treat them like sisters. I think you would say to the, uh, to, the, to the ladies, to the younger men, treat them like a brother. Um, build your relationships on friendship. And for those of us who have been in relationships for a while, don't forget to nurture the friendship side of your relationship. Talk to each other. Be real with each other. You know, we had an amazing time last Sunday. Did y'all enjoy last Sunday? I thought last Sunday was awesome. It was challenging. The vision for what depth groups could be and the impact they could have in our lives were, were, was, was radical. Mission communities as well. In each scenario, we talked about how important it is to be intimate with each other, to share what's really going on. This is the same challenge that uh, Song of Solomon, that Solomon's giving us as he models for us way, the way we should treat our wives, is to be friends. The Bible says that when you become married, that you become one person. So I've got a question. How many secrets do you keep from yourself? Zero. None of them. That means that in your relationship, your relationship should be defined by intimacy. Sharing all things, having all things in common. Your marital relationship should have absolutely no secrets. Some, some pastors, some counselors disagree with that. So if you disagree with it, that's fine. Maybe in discussion you can explain why you think that's a good idea. I believe, because the Bible says we as believers, once we get married, we are one person. That means my brain is her brain. My body is her body. That means that everything that I have happened in my life Every thought that I have, every temptation, every fantasy, every bad thing that goes in my life, I want my wife to know about it. Because I believe, as I understand Scripture, that's part of what it means to be one person. Now, that takes a while in your relationship to get there to where you can say those things and your wife or your, or your husband won't absolutely hate you and want to run out, right? It takes a while to build that intimacy up. But I believe, when I understand Scripture, that it is an excuse of modern psychology that we use to refuse to be as intimate as the text challenges us to be. This relationship was built on friendship. If you read Song of Solomon carefully, and we're not going to read it as much as, as you will have the opportunity in your own lives, and I would challenge you to read it in the net translation, New English translation, uh, you discover that there is absolutely no secrets between the two people in this, in this narrative, in this poem, um, to be more correct. So things to do for your girl. Become a friend. Number two, be, be spontaneous. This is how the, uh, the man describes the moment that he is caught up in her love. So if you, if you read this carefully, there's this little, this little play that goes on. We'll read it again in a minute. But he has left wherever she is. He's out of her presence to go, it looks like, to be in a field. 
uh, with sheep. And she, she's like, where are you, man? I need to find you. I need to be with you. I love you. Uh, if, if, you, if you don't tell me where you are, I'm just going to have to roam around all the guys looking for you. A little bit of a, little bit of a trick there, it sounds like. I'm going to have to roam around and be around a bunch of guys looking for you. And he's like, hey, just, just follow my sheep. And if you follow the path of my sheep, you'll find me. And then when they finally get together, he talks about how beautiful she is. Uh, some of it we read earlier. And then he goes on to say, in verse 16, right during the middle of this moment, oh, how delightful you are. The lush foliage is our canopied bed. The cedars are the beams of our bedroom chamber. The pines are the rafters of our bedroom. This is a very spontaneous moment. He is so caught up in the love of the girl that he said, hey, here we are, right out here in the field. Let's make this, let's make this, this, this grass our bed. Uh, this, the trees above us and all the, the limbs, totally fine for a bedroom chamber. Uh, the, raft, the rafters will be the, be the uh, I'm sorry, the limbs and the pines will be the rafters to our bedroom. Be spontaneous. The next thing to be for her, to do for her. Protect and provide for her. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young, young men. That's how she describes him. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. And using this description, she's saying that she wants his protection and she wants his, his provision. Just like a tree would provide protection from the sun and the provision of its fruit. Uh, if you in your relationship uh, are in a space where you can provide the protection and provision that your wife needs, it is the foundation you need for communication. Uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the studies that, that we do around communication, uh, in order to communicate effectively when you're having a disagreement, one of the chief things that you need to make sure that, you're, that your spouse, this is especially true from guys to girls, the, the husband to the wife, you have to make sure that anything you say is couched with terms of, hey, no matter what, I want you to know that I love you. And I'm going to be with you through thick and thin. And my thoughts about you haven't changed. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to change how I take care of you. I'm not going to change how I provide for you. I'm not going to change how I protect you. But I do need to share some things about, your, about our relationship that I have a concern with. A, 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 a female uniquely needs to know that the security and stability of the relationship is never, ever, ever, ever going to change. In that context, true communication happens. That's why the communication in this relationship is so strong because she is certain that he's going to protect her and provide for her and there's nothing that will ever happen that will change that. Next thing to, to do for your girl, woo her. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He brought me into the banquet hall and he looked at me lovingly. Sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples for I am faint with love or I'm lovesick or I can't stand it anymore. Uh, a raisin cake was uh, considered an aphrodisiac during this time. Um, it, was, it was something that was always uh, provided as a part of the marital meal, the marital banquet for the, for the man and the wife as they were getting married. Um, it, was, it was part of a wooing process. This whole picture, this whole, this whole description is of a, of, a, of a banquet hall and coming into the banquet hall and him preparing meal and him wooing his spouse. And of course, if you've read the book of Song of Solomon, you know this is one, uh, like several of these other instances, this is one example among many of him wooing his, his, his spouse or his bride. Don't stop wooing her. Don't stop doing the things that show her how affectionate you are. Don't stop giving her the flowers. Don't stop giving her the, the, the sending her the sweet text. Don't stop sending her cards. Don't stop taking her on dates. Woo your spouse and continue to woo her. 
Uh, find the thing that means the most to her. Find the thing that's going to make her say to you, I am absolutely adoring you right now. I am faint with love. You make me lovesick. When we think of lovesick, we typically think of that part of the relationship that is early, don't we? What do we, t- what do we call that sometimes? What's that? 14. Or I may have heard somebody else. Puppy love? Did somebody say puppy love? Diane said puppy love. Sometimes we say that as puppy love, right? This text is helping us see that at every stage in your relationship, you ought to foster the puppy love stage of the relationship. Does that mean it's the true foundation of relationship? No. Where did they start? They started with the foundation of character and spiritual, a spiritual foundation. Does that mean, though, that the puppy love scenarios, those, those moments where you look goo-goo-eyed at each other and you're just like, oh dear, I just wish everybody had love like this. I should look at it this way when I say that. Oh dear. You know, is, is that mean, does that mean that we shouldn't foster those moments? Absolutely not. It's not either or. It's both and. So think about the things you did for your girlfriend. If you're married now, and you are a few years into the marriage, a year, five, 10, 20, doesn't matter. What did you do for her in those first, those first months that made her feel so lovesick? Continue to do those things. You probably opened the door. You probably sent her notes. You probably talked to her on the phone. You probably even picked up the phone, called her. This, this may be going back. I don't, know, I don't know if people still do this or not, because all the texting and Snapchat. I don't know if you can do this on Snapchat or not. But you know, back in the day, you pick up the phone, and you sit there, and then once you've said your words for uh, 30 minutes or 10 minutes or three hours or whatever, then you just sit there. I just don't want to hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Let's just sit here and just breathe. You remember that? Did anybody else do that? Or was I the only one? Okay, so I think, I think everybody did that. That's that puppy love. Continue to foster it. Continue to foster the, um, the puppy love scenario uh, in your relationship. Oh, okay, verse, chapter 2, verse 6, and I'm hurrying. Chapter 2, verse 6. So uh, what do you want to do for her? Now, this gets into some of the physical aspects of, of the text. So um, in the New English translation, chapter 2, verse 6, and um, just want to make sure we're reading the Bible. Yeah, we're reading the Bible. Um, just make sure of that. Here's what it says. His left hand caresses my head, and his right hand stimulates me. Physically, when you take care of your wife, focus on her pleasure. Don't focus on yours. Focus on hers. There is, a, there is no more intimate description of physical love in the Bible to me than that one verse. And it describes a lover who focuses on the pleasure, not of himself in the physical bed, but of his spouse. And take your time. Chapter 4, verse 6 says this. Describing their lovemaking session. Until the dawn arrives and the shadows flee, I will go up to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. I'll let you use your imagination for mountain of myrrh and hill of frankincense. Take your time. Take your time. Chapter 4, verse 11. Your lips drip sweetness like the honeycomb. My bride, honey and milk are under your tongue. Now, how in the world do you find out that honey and milk are under your girl's tongue? There's only one way. All right? Make out with your wife. Physically, focus on her pleasure. Take your time and make out with your wife. Does this surprise you that's in the Bible? It surprises me a little bit the first time I, I discovered that. 
And I'll be honest with you, we barely scratched the surface. And I'm only going to barely scratch the surface. Uh, chapter 2, verse 15, fight against the unnoticeables. Catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyard is in bloom. Protect your spouse from those unnoticeables, those things that sneak in and want to steal the relationship. Whether it's time, your hobby, your career. Protect your relationship from those little small things that seem natural. It's very natural for a fox to go in into a vineyard and steal the fruit. That's what foxes do. So those things that naturally are going to happen and occur, fight for them, protect them. I'm going to skip a few. I'll share them with you later. Uh, chapter 3, verse 6 through 11. I'm not going to read it. Read it yourself later, but become a man of honor. It describes Solomon and the, and the wedding procession coming toward his bride. And it describes him as a man of success, esteem, prestige, honor, and respect. Um, Solomon made sure he was in position to provide, provide a great life for his spouse. That is your responsibility, men. So those things to do for your girl. And then lastly, I'll go through these pretty quickly. Things to say to your girl. Chapter 3, verse, verse 1 through 8. I'm, I am going to read this one to you. In my bed at night, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him. I will rise now and go about the city through the streets and the plazas. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him. The guards who go about the city found me. Have you seen the one I love? I asked them. I had just passed them. When I found the one I love, I held on to him and would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's chamber, to my mother's house, to the chamber of the one who conceived me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild ones of the field. Do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. You see this dynamic in th in through the entire book of Solomon. Um, to where, just in all bluntness, there's a lot of temptation. And it's hard to figure out exactly when the temptation is premarital or postmarital. Of course, what is pretty clear in this text is, is that, the, that the sexual experience is only postmarital. But there is no, there is no um, filter in the reality of what the picture that's painted in Song of Solomon, that there was a lot of temptation in the premarital experience between this, between this uh, husband, uh, soon-to-be husband and soon-to-be wife. There was a lot of temptation. They didn't hide it. They did not like it wasn't real. They said, hey, this is, this is a temptation. But every single time the temptation reaches a level of, of extreme, the guy always says no. Um, I will, I will tell you that uniquely in this text, uh, versus maybe my experience is, is that the girl wanted to proceed past the barriers that were acceptable. But the guy always says, let's stop. Let's not do that. Let's say no. If you are dating in this room, and you are in a, a, a marital situation, respect the integrity of marriage. And you can do that for one of two reasons. If you follow Jesus, do it because Jesus commanded it, and you know he's smarter than you are, and he's got better ideas than you, you do. So if Jesus says don't have sex before you get married, and he's God, and he's omniscient, and he's really smart, do that because he knows more than you do. Just like you might trust the pilot of a plane to make better decisions about flying the plane than you would. That just makes sense. If you know who Jesus is, do what Jesus says, right? Makes sense. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus, and for those of us who are, when you build your relationship on physicality, on sexuality, instead of spirituality and character, then your, then your relationship is built on a foundation that will soon crumble. It is only wisdom, if nothing else, and worship, if it's expressed in its fullest, 
for us to build our relationship not on physicality but spirituality. Your life, your marriage cannot reach its full potential until it is being built or planted in a garden of of eternal unconditional love. And eternal unconditional love is always sacrificial love. I give of myself love. Sexual love in, in, in a premarital context is always the opposite of that. It is always give me what I want love. This guy was able to resist the temptations presented to him and say, no, not yet. No, not yet. I know you want to. I want to. You are beautiful. You are attractive. Man, I really would like to go ahead and proceed forward in this. But let's stop. And there are description after description after description where they really wanted to move past the barrier. But he said, no. Number two. Chapter 1, verse 15. Describe her beauty. Describe her beauty physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. How beautiful you are, my darling or my friend. How very beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Verse 16, some Bibles say that this is the female speaking. I personally think it's the, uh, the male speaking. It says, uh, continuing to speak, how beautiful you are, my love. How delightful. First, he starts talking about her physical beauty, and then he describes her, her emotional beauty, how sensitive she is. Even the word for... Um, for your eyes are like doves. This was very common in love poetry during the day to describe the sentimentality that you would see in another person because they felt like that the eyes of a dove were emotional and captured significantly the sentiment of the animal. This is a way for this lover to say, in your eyes I see emotion and compassion and care and sentiment. He's not only describing the physical beauty, but the emotional beauty. And then when he goes on to describe delightful, it's speaking to her inner beauty. It's a word for character or, inner, or that, that true inner beauty. He describes that as well. If you look at chapter 7, verse 1 through 6, he describes her physical beauty from head to toe. And I'm going to tell you, tell you guys, um, I, I have prepared for this uh, in all transparency, uh, finishing up yesterday. This to me was the most practical, helpful part. Has your wife ever said to you, tell me what you love about me? Your wife ever said that? Any guys ever said that? So I want to make sure, because if your wives don't say that to you, I need you all to talk to my wife. I'm just joking. Just joking about that. Tell me what you love about me. And sometimes, I'm like, uh, 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 and it's not because I don't love her. It's not because I don't have, like, great things to say. But that moment, that's a, is that a high-pressure moment or what? That's a high-pressure moment. Let's just be honest. Tell me what you love about me. Uh, this text is going to help you, okay? Chapter 7, verse, verses, uh, let me make sure I'm in the right place, 1 through 6. Here's what he does. He describes his bride from toe to head. We used to say it the opposite, from head to toe. He describes her from from toe to head. How beautiful are your sandal feet, princess. The curves of your thighs are like jewelry. The handiwork of a master. Your midsection is a rounded bowl and never lacks mixed wine. Your waist is is a mound of wheat surrounded by uh, by lilies. Um, that was a bad Freudian slip. Um, your waist is a mound of wheat surrounded by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes like pools of Hishbon by the gate of Batharibim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, the hair of your head like purple cloth. A king could be held captive in your tresses. How beautiful you are, how pleasant. We could keep reading it, but we'll stop there. He starts at her feet, and he describes everything he loves about her from the bottom to the top. 
The next time uh, you enter a moment, an intimate moment with your wife, pause and describe everything you love about your wife from the toe to the head. That's what he does. That's a good tip, isn't it? That's a good tip. Ladies, is that a good tip? All right, here we go. All right, good deal. Almost there. I know this is a long one. Remind her that she is the most valuable thing in the world to you. Chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to this. Listen to this phrase of love. It's going to blow you away. Oh, my beloved, you are like a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. Now, that may not seem like a term of affection to you. You are like a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. But did you know that in, in the Egyptian armies, it was only Pharaoh who had a mare. He would always have a white mare as the, the horse that would pull his chariot. Every other horse in the entire Pharaoh army was always a stallion, a stud. What is he saying? He's saying you're one in a million. You're one amongst many. You are uniquely valuable. He uses that exact phrase in chapter, chapter 8, you are unique. And then in chapter 8, verse 6, he says this. He says, set me, she says to him, set me like a cylinder seal over your heart, like a signet over your arm. Over your arm. A king during this time would have a signet that he would imprint any of his most valuable property, which I know is not the best way to describe the scenario in 2017. But it was a way to speak to the value of something. Solomon is just simply telling us, make sure your wife knows that she is the most valuable thing in your life. And we've said it a thousand times in church. We, we speak to value based on where we spend our time and where we spend our money. Uh, make sure your wife knows that she's like the mayor amongst Pharaoh's stallions. A couple more things real quick. Do not fear pet names. Uh, this, these two lovers use the word dove six times. We talked about friend nine times. Use the word lily eight times. They use pet names all the time. So if you've got good pet names, that's okay. We'll share those later in discussion if we have time. Uh, just joking. I don't want to hear your pet names. And then lastly, so all these things we're talking about saying to your girl, we're talking about talking about how valuable she is. We're talking about how meaningful she is, how wonderful she is. The last thing is say it publicly. Say it at work. So when you're at work and you're talking about your wife, if this is part of your language, stop it today. Yeah, the old ball and chain. I can't really do what I'm supposed to do tonight. I'd like to go out and have a drink with the guys, but the old ball and chain. If that's a part of your language, never do that again. That's stupid. And there's no better word for it. If you're critical or negative about your wife in front of other people at work or with the guys, never do that again, ever. Speak the praises and value of your wife to other people. And when you start hearing someone else badmouth or criticize their wife, Reflect and return that by praising your wife. So as we wrap up, let's wrap up with these thoughts. First of all, if you're a female and you're listening to this message, we probably have a lot of believers here today, but we may not have all believers. What do you think about God's plan for how your husband should treat you or your guy should treat you? Pretty good, huh? You think you might could trust your life to Jesus? I don't know about you, but this sounds like a pretty trustworthy master and lord and king. If this is the kind of life he wants to bring up into every man in this room. If you're a guy in this room, you may be reading this, and you may feel like me. Like, man, I, I stink at most of that. 
if you thought I was up here sharing this with you today because I'm good at this, uh, then, then you need to interview my wife after this is over because I stink at most of this. But our hope isn't in ourselves to become this. Our hope is that this is the transformation that Jesus wants to bring into our life. And even as we do this together, and this is for all of us, husbands and wives, and if you're in that pursuit of relationship, or if you have the dreams of a relationship in the future, this is your only hope to be these things for each other is the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't do this without Jesus. You just can't. So as you pursue this vision in your life, pursue Jesus first. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Restoration Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear more in this series or learn more about our church, you can visit us online at www.restorationchurch.us or follow us on Facebook at RestorationDCH.